guy who was really kind of the point man. He really is kind of the point man of the whole church over there. Um, neat fellow, um, and he uh, told me all these things that we would be doing uh, concerning going to Romania and meeting Dr. Nick and do this and that. We were gonna, uh, and my whole conception of what I was uh, facing over there came through conversations that I had with Bob. Well, in the province of God, and I, I underscore that, ladies and gentlemen, because um, uh, Bob has felt badly about this, and I don't feel badly about it at all. In the province of God, the first three weeks that we were there, Bob was in Philadelphia. Um, he was the one that was kind of the point man to take care of us, and he wasn't even on the scene. He had to return to the States because of some issues. He came back to Budapest and was there two weeks and had to go back to Philadelphia and have his wife have surgery. She had uh, back surgery in Philadelphia. Well, the point is, the man who was my contact, the man who had said, here's what we're going to do, here's what we'll be doing, was taken off the scene. The other man who was mentioned is a guy by the name of Ron Clegg, um, and Ron is a guy that used to work for me in, in Florida. He was an intern at our church in Florida, and so that was kind of one of the ways that we felt the sense of God's calling, because we, we already knew a familiar face that was over there, and he leads the worship, and uh, etc. Well, Ron was another fellow that was going to be my point man, kind of a guy who was going to help us make a transition from the air to year, you know, and all that business. And, uh, and indeed he did. So that he met us at the airport. He's the one that took us to the house. And, and in the first couple of days, they, they did a couple of things uh, with the computer, which I don't know exactly what they did. But uh, um, anyway, again, in the providence of God, he was also taken off the scene. Uh, he had a week-long thing in... Romania or wherever he was, and then he came back. He had another five, the next week, had another five day something in someplace else, and then in that five day thing, he got deathly sick, and then did his wife. Now, I, I tell you that to say that in the province of God, the two people who were most, who were to be most responsible for Susie and me were removed from the scene. Consequently, everything that is needed in terms of trying to adjust to a foreign culture where nobody speaks your language was gone. Um, you can't imagine the number of things that, that you're trying to figure out. Um, for instance, um, you, you try to shop at a grocery store and you're looking for um, um, coffee creamer. Well. It, it's not written C-O-F-F-E or C-O-F-F-E-E, C-R-E-A-M-E-R. And so you're trying to figure out, and then you're looking for flour. But you don't want general purpose. You want all purpose flour. Well, it's, how are you going to find it? I mean, you tap somebody on the shoulder and you say, you know, all purpose flour, and they say, I don't know what you're talking about, though. One day we did find an English-speaking woman who's from South Africa, and she showed us around a little bit in there. Um, getting gas. The, the biggest problem was the phones. Over there, the phones, you don't, you don't pay monthly. You pay in advance. Now, you've got to go online to pay in advance. Now, there's two problems there. <laughs> the first of which is going online. And um, you, so you can't use the phone until you pay them some money by getting your credit card. I never learned that. Never learned that. And uh, finally, somebody came over and said, okay, they did it for me once, and then we ran out of money. And you've got my wife over there who is desperate to talk. By the way, you know those phone calls we got the first time we were there? That was on money that the people who lived there previously, we were living off their money. 
So we had to, you know, replenish their money, and, and we didn't know how to do that. But my wife was desperate to speak to her children, and in fact, the grandchildren, all that business, and we don't have any phones. That's just one of the phones. Then you've got a cell phone. And they say, here's your cell phone, you'll stay in contact. With whom? I don't know how to punch the buttons. When it rang, and it did ring, I never could get to the, the phone. I mean, it's not, they don't have the same little buttons. And so it's ringing, and I'm saying, hello? Hello? And I'm not getting anything. So I didn't give her that two phone calls. This phone knows. <laughs> any, any kind of, uh, your, your, your local uh, phone service, your long-distance phone service is another issue. You have to do that differently from the local phone service. Then they were sending us bills in the mail. We didn't know what the bills were. And uh, there was a gas bill, and a, uh, there was a gas bill, and an electric bill. We, we figured out the electric bill. In fact, the, the gas bill said something like, Gasoletta, or something like that. We said, oh, hey, this is the gas bill. And so here we are thinking, oh my goodness, they're going to turn off the gas, they're going to turn off electricity, and right in the middle of the winter. And, and, and who do we call? We had nobody to call. We had to wait until Sunday to take those bills to the church. So it's like, yeah, electric bill, yeah, you want water? Oh, okay, we'll get this paid. Oh, well, great. Well, I'm sitting home three days wondering, are they going to turn off the electricity? Because I don't know who to call. You dial a number, and of course we couldn't dial a number, but when you did dial a number, you're talking to somebody who doesn't speak any English. There was just millions of those things. Going to the gas station for the first time, and you know, they gave me the car when it was full, and it was a Fiat, and it got. 7,000 miles per gallon. <laughs> but you had to eventually get some more gas. And so you drive up to the gas station and you're thinking, okay, do I pump it? Do they pump it? And they're standing there in these little uniforms and they're looking at you like, if you make a wrong move, buddy, we're going to shoot you right here. <laughs> so do I pump it? Do you pump it? And if they pump it, do I, do I tip them or not tip them? Well, if they pump it and don't get tipped, then I'm supposed to tip them. And I'm like, oh, who do I ask? Do I tip those guys? Do I do it? Who does it? And then finally, I pulled up the gas station one day and I saw one guy get out and pump his own gas. I thought, <laughs> I know that I can at least pump my own gas. But then the guy came and, you know, did off the windshield. And I watched it and, and he tipped the guy. I said, okay. Well, that was about four gas tanks into it. But I figured out that you're supposed to tip the guy and you can pump him. Now, guys, those might not sound like much, but uh, a map. We never found a map. <laughs> now, they were, we were given several maps. But none of them worked. None of them, none of them did what maps do. <laughs> you know what maps do? They're supposed to, you know, but it, they never did it. And this is a city that is known for its hostility towards left turns. And so we were constantly thinking, you know, that the first day that I'm there, first Monday, I, I make this turn, I said, oh, there's a parking place. And, I, and, and so parking places are a premium over there. I don't know you know that um, when the wall was up, they, they have roads that were built over there. Uh, to accommodate the traffic of communist days. Then in 1989, as you know, the wall fell. And as a celebration of the liberty, they all went and bought cars. And those roads... <sighs> you think Atlanta traffic at 5.30 is bad? Ah! You ain't seen nothing. And I'm telling you, uh, somebody had warned me about this because they had driven in Germany before. I didn't know about the Germany. I don't like Germans. <laughs> I developed a great antipathy for Germans because they got the big BMWs and I got the, you know, the, the glorified lawnmower that came with a 26-inch blade and, and, and they take it, you know, they, they got a speed limit. Look at it. <laughs> and they said nothing to the Germans. 
if you're out of the left lane and uh, they're coming up behind you, you better get your little behind you out of that lane because they expect you to get out of their way. Well, it was just numerous things trying to get uh, a septic tank. I don't have a septic tank. I've never lived with a septic tank. You know what happens if your septic tank overflows? It ain't pretty. You know what they told us? Here's how you're going to know if your septic tank is, is getting full. There will be little bugs that will be flying around the vents in the, in the floor of the bathroom. So we spent all our time looking for bugs around the vents. It the bugs we're going to get. Because the bugs, the bugs are going to tell you something. So and we're down the floor sniffing at these vents and thinking, oh. About nine weeks into it, we found the hatch that you open up to see, you know, if it's up to the top. I didn't know you did that. I didn't know people looked at their sewage. <laughs> and then, if, and if your sewage septic tank is full enough, then you're supposed to call these people and let them come out and pump out 12 cubic yards or feet, yards, whatever it was. And I thought, you know, I had to let you know. We didn't flush our toilets. <laughs> because we dreaded having to have somebody come out and pump our septic tank. <laughs> so, we, so we just. We got around it. That's what it is. We got a city. We didn't pump our septic tank. But you stack all those things up together. And, you know, they, uh, the first Sunday that I preached, it was two days. My wife is here. I better forget about that. Now I got to tell the truth. I was talking about the septic tank. So the little bugs that were flying around. See, that's the true story. You get it. But anyway, uh, the, the second week, the first Sunday that I preached, we've been there two days. And these people came by to pick us up. And so we followed them to the church and everything was fine. The next week they said, this thing is on the morning. And I said, can somebody give me some directions? And they said, oh, it's easy. It's easy. You get to that shell station, you turn next to the right the shell station, and then you go to two trails, and you go to the railroad track, and you turn right that thing right there. And there's no road signs. There's no road signs. Sometimes they're on the, the, the sides of the building. Sometimes. But then one road can have four different names. We never, my wife was kind of an navigator and she would use the map. We never got a map to her. And, and the, the Sunday that I was on my own getting to church, I was angry. I was angry that they said, oh, it's easy, come on, yeah, you take that turn right here, you go around. And I thought, when we finally, we got lost, but I did finally find it on time, and I thought, that was easy? You don't know what easy directions are. Because, but all of those things, and you know, people, they have red lights over there. And their red lights, uh, they don't go from red to green. They go from red to yellow to green. You know, like from green to yellow to red? They go from red to green to yellow. Well, when it's red and yellow comes on, you better have your vehicle rolling. <laughs> because somebody's going to be in your back seat they're going to keep going. And so it's traffic, uh, traffic galore, traffic things that we didn't understand. Directions. We spent four hours one Friday afternoon looking for a flea market. Four hours. At the end of our trip, at about week 10, we found it again and it took us 20 minutes to drive here. But the first time, we were using maps, you know, trying to follow these blasted maps, it took us four hours. But we had plenty of time. <laughs> and the, and the, 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 the biggest part of it all, it was that we were alone. You take all those little things that were constantly. It was just stressful. Getting gas was stressful. I, and I, you may call that an overreaction, but I'm telling you, 
There was nobody. The normal missions trip goes something like this. You pay your money, you get on the plane, you arrive at wherever you're going, there's somebody there waiting to pick you up, they take you to the place you're going to stay, then they pick you up the next morning, they take you to the place that you're going to work, then they get you your three squares, and they get you back to the place, and then they take you to the airport at the end of a set of days. That's what this was. They put us in a house, and they said, Rock so rough. <laughs> now, they didn't intend to say that. By the way, let me, let, me, let me go back. At the end, all these people, Bob and Ron and, and all the elders, Mark Medican and Brian Rose, and uh, they were all taking me out to lunch. They said, we're so sorry. We should have done it differently. We're sorry we didn't take it. And I guess we weren't angry. We never were angry. Still aren't. We weren't. It, it, we, we understood the providences of God, and they had a life to live. They couldn't be burdened with us, too, and, and the things that they had. We didn't have one smidge. Still don't. I'm just trying to tell you why it was hard. It was hard getting up in the morning and not knowing where to go how. The, the another issue that came up that was that it was it, it wasn't as hard on Susie as it was on me, but it was this was just scary for me. And I think it was about day nine. I've got it in my journal, but I think about day nine. It started snowing. And you know, we laughed about Jimmy shoveling snow, and you know, I'd never shoveled snow before. Well, I shoveled snow on our little, our little uh, uh, sidewalk thing there, and within six hours, we had another eight inches. It snowed for three days. And I saw these Hungarians driving down. I said, well, what the heck? I want to drive through it, too. And of course, I ended up in the ditch. And, and it was, and, and you know, I, you read the email about me being in the shorts. I, I was in shorts. I had no clothes. I had a coat. I had my coat. I was in shorts and in the ditch. Couldn't speak any English. And, uh, and I'll tell you about that later, but just the, the provision of God to get me out of that. And I thought, you know, you hit this concrete thing, I thought, oh, no, I put up a whole bomb on this lawnmower. Now, that's, that's a couple of the reasons why it was so hard. But let me tell you guys what I, what I think is, is the reason real why it was so difficult. And here's something that I hope that you can benefit from. Because uh, here's, here's, here's kind of a, a lesson, if I could, uh, if I could call it that. Um, again, the thing that we felt that was taken from us is not convenient. The thing that we felt was taken from us that's why this statement about you gave us the sentence of death. Let me tell you what I mean about what was taken from us. And, and really, Susie more so than me. Because I at least, I was preaching at least once a week. And I'm, I'm not involved with our grandsons like she is. But everything that was normal to us, everything that was enjoyable to us, everything that was meaningful to us, everything that was that filled up our week was gone. It was all gone. There was nothing. We had no place to go. We had nothing to do. We had nobody to call. And nobody was calling us. And it was snowing. <laughs> and uh, I got out once. We, made, we had a luncheon appointment in the middle of that snow. 
and there was a luncheon appointment, and it was 40 minutes away from us, and it was snowing like crazy. And I thought, you know, what the heck? we got to go do something. We got in the car and started trying to make that luncheon appointment. And finally, about halfway down, I said, this is we're going to kill ourselves. And we turned around and came back. But we were desperate. Guys, here's the deal. On Tuesday mornings at 9.30, I know where my wife is. I know exactly where she is. There's a group of women that pray here every, every Tuesday morning at 9.30. At about 10 o'clock on Thursday mornings, I know exactly where my wife is. She's somewhere downtown to go to the grandchildren. I know where she is on Wednesday afternoons. I know where she is on Monday afternoons. Because we have a routine. And here's the point. Routine chokes faith. Routine is something that's predictable. And predictable is an enemy of faith. Because I know where I'm going to be. I know what I'm going to do. Routine is the thing that supports me in my life. And the thing that I longed for and the thing that I wanted to get back to was my blessed routine. But once that is stripped from you, you don't have any place to go on Tuesday morning at 9.30. There is nothing that you do at noon on, on Wednesdays. There is nothing. The only thing that's left is the Lord God. It's all gone. Everything that supports you and is an artificial support on my head to your spirituality, to the exercise of your soul, strip it away what's left. Because for most of you, and including me, for most of us, our spiritual experience is wrapped up in our church. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm saying it can be. Because we identify the progress or lack of saying in our souls with how we're doing and how we're perceived in church. Take that all away from me. What do you left? My opinion, we were left as soon as it was like we had no life. So my wife would, uh, she would, we would come to the end of the day. Oh, it was about day four. I mean, it was early on that she learned how to figure out the washing machine, and she washed a lot of clothes. And it was like, God, there is something. She cooked a meal, and it was like, no, I don't want to go out. I want to cook. Because it's the only shred of normalcy we have. And so she would clean. You know, she would, it was all tile four, and she was constantly on that tile four. But it was like, let me love. Because it's something. And, and I said this in the beginning I hope you have this experience. I really do. I hope you get stripped. I think we all need to be stripped. I think you all need to get stripped of everything that you lean on to support your soul. Why? Are you being Jimmy Young? Do you hate us? Yes, we have the sense of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves but in God. What was this stripping all about? I'll tell you 
please. By the way, you know, people continue to ask us, what'd you learn? Tell me what difference this is going to make in your kingdom for being here. Thousands of islands off the Croatian coast and investigate islands that are uninhabitable. You want to do that? 
<laughs> I got one. The guy named Bolt Moore, and he is he is unbelievable. He's a world class sailor. Unbelievable. But anyway, he took I never heard of throwing shot. You know what he's showing me these pictures of little islands and thousands of islands off the coast of Croatia? What? I thought you were kidding. But you know, all that to say. Uh, another thing, um, Czechoslovakia. You ever heard of that? That doesn't exist anymore. I didn't know that. It's two countries now. Czech Republic and Slovakia. Prague's the capital of the Czech Republic and uh, Bratislava is the capital of um, Slovakia. Slovakia got the bad end of the deal. <laughs> we went to Bratislava and it was like, we spent about four hours there and thought, well, that was a waste. And we didn't come back and we get home. But Prague. Prague. Go Prague. Prague is But anyway, um, in, in the course of all this, I'm here. You know, I did a little week-long seminar in Renault, Czech Republic. And we had just come out of filth and dirt and traffic and madness and, you know, and we came to the Czech Republic and it was calm. Traffic wasn't bad. It was This was a breath of fresh air. They put us up in this little apartment. It was really, it was really kind of a vibe aggressive. But anyway, I learned something about the... Uh, Vladislav Havel. Vladislav Havel is the one that led the, uh, the division of Czechoslovakia and led the whole Czech Republic. He was the poet king. He was the one that uh, had an uh, Oxford uh, education. And one of the first things that he did, and this is one of the first things that he did when he took over the, the Czech Republic is that he went to Paris and got some Paris designer yeah. to design all new military units. Because he said, I want to make my country something new. Yeah. Was, was a significant part of that. <coughs> I mean, they made him all they made him all. They have a term limit on how long he could uh, be the president, and he, and he still wants to be president of his country, you know, when he served eight years or ten years, whatever it was. And then they've been in chaos ever since. Lots, lots, lots. And he's a, he's a hero. But anyway, Vladislav Havel is credited with um, leading what is known as, in fact, I think there's a book by this title, The Velvet. There was a separation of the two countries. Uh, Slovakia went its way. The Republic went its way. No, no uprising, no uproar, no, 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 no. That's why they call it the Velvet Revolution. Here's my point. In the midst of hearing